Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Isaac. And this is your boy, Bryce. And we are Brothers on Tennis. And folks, we've got our good buddy back with us. We've got Paul Haberman with us. And uh, we are going to talk some tennis and talk some legal stuff uh, that surrounded the U.S. Open. Bryce, I know that we saw a lot <laughs> during the U.S. Open, um, but uh, always good to have Paul back on the show. And uh, yeah, just uh, hand it over to you, my man. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me back here. Um, yeah, actually, I was inclined to start before the U.S. Open, uh, just kind of chronologically ease in and then uh, get to the main event of the evening, uh, Simona Halep here. Uh, which, not for the right reasons, but the uh, <laughs> main event of the evening, just the same. But uh, yeah, we're I mean, we we're talking right before about that sort of strange ruling at uh, the National Bank Open and uh, that bout, uh, that match between uh, Milos Raonic and uh, Francis Tiafo. Uh, Bryce actually said he spoke to the judge about that later. Why don't you, maybe maybe you want to tell us about that call there. Yeah. Um, when Isaac and I were in Cincinnati, we got an opportunity to talk to chair umpire Fergus Murphy. And okay, um, okay. for those of you that follow tennis, he's one of the vets and been around forever. Um, yeah. Well, he was the chair umpire for that match. And for those that don't remember exactly what the situation was, um, it was a point where Tiafo was running up to hit a shot. And after the shot, he ran into the net. Now, I think most of us the way we feel and we think about it is, well, once you hit the net, then you lose the point. Well, right. Fergus Murphy did not award the point to Rayonich. He gave it to Tiafo because Tiafo uh, won the point uh, before he hit the net. And when we asked him about it, he stated, and this is what he stated on court. And it seemed like not only did common people like us not know about this ruling, but the <laughs> players weren't even really familiar with this. But in a singles match, the part of the net that you cannot touch is the part that extends across a singles court. Okay. And if okay. you think about it, when you go to tournaments that don't have doubles, the net only extends to across the singles portion of the court. So if you happen to be on a court where the net extends across the doubles alleys, if you end up touching the net on the where it extends over the doubles alleys, that is not an infraction. Only if you touch the part of the net that extends across a single part of the court. And Fergus told us, he said, apparently a lot of people were not familiar with that uh, rule, but he said that is the rule. And a lot of people learned something that day. Rayanis wasn't even familiar with that rule because no. you saw his reaction to it. He was livid because he just right. knew that point was his. And Fergus was like, no, he touched the double side of the net. That That does not count. That is not considered to be a you know a a you know a a, a fra uh, infraction or what have you so mm -hmm. yeah yeah crazy yeah, i'm not sure tiafo knew either but it wasn't really his business to say either way tiafo <laughs> right. was just happy he was just like yeah hey, <laughs> and if you think right, about right. it as we're talking and I'm, I'm playing it through my head yeah you would not be called for an infraction for a part of the net that is not in play right it's right. not in play it's, so, it's basically invisible, imaginary, whatever you want to call it. It's there, but it's not there. So again, when right. you're playing singles, even though it's a, it's a, the doubles part, it's basically yeah. not there or not considered to be a factor when you are playing singles. Right. Interesting. Uh, one to grow on for uh, 
for the men's tour or the men's and women's tour going forward, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, just keeping on chronologically, I mean, uh, I guess right before the, uh, or more towards the middle of the summer, I don't think you would, you and I, uh, I think we spoke about Emer's impending penalty, but uh, the, the three, uh, the eighteen-month ban uh, brought down by the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Uh, that's uh, that's the court of last resort unless he goes to the federal uh, Supreme Court of Switzerland. So, uh, and uh, it sounds like he's kind of taken that out of their hands anyway by retiring, if I, if I recall the headlines right. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I would say that it's a pretty high-level uh, doping bust, but then you go a few weeks later to Halep, and, uh, you know, that, that she, I was reading one report, that's the highest-ranked uh, player since uh, Sharapova, he had dinged on a doping violation. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, Emer, I mean, three out of competition doping tests are missed. Uh, yeah, and I can tell you, having reviewed a lot of court of arbitration for sport decisions over time. I mean, they're very meticulous and it sounds like they are at all levels. I mean, the tenant, the uh, unit that took down uh, Halep also had a 126 page ruling or something like that, reviewing the evidence pretty close. And, uh, you know, a lot of times they'll reduce or modify. And, but if they don't, you have a pretty long, long road to hoe there, uh, as far as uh, getting it uh, challenged. And I haven't even heard of too many that bother going to the federal uh, Supreme Court of Switzerland for it. So uh, I guess if he stays retired, it's moot. But um, that is also Halep's next step, not to get ahead of ourselves here. She's already said she said she would appeal it to the uh, Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is the next level up. So by the way, just a, a piece of a little piece of history on, on, on why that is. Uh, a lot of international sports federations signed on to the, uh, I believe it was the 2009 World Anti-Doping Code, which provided that it is the court of arbitration for, for sport that will hear the final word on most uh, doping uh, allegations, even if they start in one place, as it did here, uh, in both instances, I should say. It, that, that's where they'll get, if there's a challenge, that's where it'll be heard and is the sort of the last resort. So, uh, like I said, I have very uh, learned opinions uh, and uh, just an, an unfortunate uh, occurrence. I mean, uh, you guys might know more about the surrounding circumstances with Emer because I know you were pretty upset about it last time. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just you, heard, you hear about these in boxing and a couple other places where somebody's just not available once too often or even once and they can get banged for it depending where they are you know, uh, in the chain before, you know, some time before the competitions. So, and, uh, it sounds like he was one off his best ranking. So that's kind of an inglorious way to go out. Uh, well, we did, we did have a response from our followers and they, their initial reaction was they're hoping that this was just kind of a reactionary move from Mikhail, right? That somebody would get into his ear and be like, right, you, right. you drew at 24 years old, um, you know, you don't want to completely give up your career. We understand you're frustrated now, but um, but I think it's kind of like you said. If if he was already kind of like at the last step, pretty much in terms of, you know, the writing was on the wall, they weren't going to overturn this. Then, I mean, what else can you do? You can't play for 18 months. Um, right, right. You probably don't want to dedicate yourself to training and staying in shape <laughs> for a year and a half. Um, right. Playing so. Um, I'm going to be very interested to see if 
as we get closer to that 18 month mark, if he's had a change of heart, which I hope right, he right. does. Yeah. And come back. Exactly. And I think the thing that makes this even more interesting and intriguing is lest we forget, he's not the only one in that tennis family. So you've got Elias Emer, who is still out there playing and in fact just played Davis Cup this past weekend for Sweden. So it's all of this is just really very, very interesting to me because when you have your brother going through something like this, that a lot of us view it as just simply not being right or that there's just some, you know, there's some sketch to it, simply put. And you as, you know, and you're, and you, you know, and that's your brother, you want to represent him, but at the same time, this is your career as well. So it, it just, this whole dynamic, man, is very, very interesting. So like you said, Bryce, I would be interested to see if he actually, if this wasn't more of a reactionary, I'm retiring, I'm just going to be done with it. Or if he really decides to come back and, and, and really put more energy into it, which I hope he does. Because yeah. again, he seems to be very much of the, you know, of the positioning that, hey, I'm not, I've done nothing wrong here. So if right, that's right. the case, then to me, stand stand in there and fight 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 don't don't just give up so i guess that's my take on it is i just find it interesting because again it's not just him that's a family thing right right he's coming off one of the best wins of his career i believe also at least he left on a high note relatively speaking i don't pun intended on the high whatever he was accused of missing is check in for it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh wow, but uh, you know, it seems like a shame given the age, given the ranking, given uh, that he just came off of win over Taylor Fritz. I mean, uh, uh, maybe you guys know this better than me, just thinking out loud. I know, for example, even like boxers that are semi retired may still act as sparring partners. Uh, I, I can't say that if you're under medical suspension or drug suspension, you'd be allowed right, to. Do you know right. what the rule is in tennis? Could they be just hitting around with people for like, you know, when they're not allowed to play otherwise? Yeah, they they can be a hitting partner if they're not okay, engaged okay. in competition on the tour. You know, that's why I would have thought. They yeah, can, they can be on whatever they want to be on. So there's theoretically a living to be made there. Point being, right? You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe he can coach his brother. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. That's it's not unheard of. Right. I mean, you see that with the Zverevs and you know a few other families where you know a sibling is 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 coaching or being a part of their team. You see that with the CC pot. Well, maybe not the CC pot, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, well, yeah. Or, uh, actually, Joe with Madison Keys, you have the, her fiance who's still semi-active uh, as her coach. Also, I, I thought that was an interesting little uh, development too. Bjorn yeah. Angelo. This, this is probably a little more consistent paycheck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> now, but, I have a uh, question with the Simona piece, though. So I know part okay, of okay. Simona's defense is that it somehow it got contaminated in her system, or you know, it's an accidental or whatever. But I thought I read that they said the amount that they found in her system. It was very hard for them to believe that that would be accidental or well, contamination. You know, the sort of the, the, the wrap up of, of it that I've read, including from you know the, uh, the the independent tribunal's own site, was kind of strange because on the one hand, they seemed to buy that she had contaminated product, you know, which is what she was saying fundamentally. 
On the other hand, they're saying, well, we might buy it, but there's also too high of an amount between the you know, between the tests uh, for us to think that it was incident. Say, did you not believe her? Did you believe her? Like it was a little, a little fuzzy to me. Unless uh, I I took the wrong takeaway from uh, from it. Uh, maybe you guys saw it differently. But uh, I mean, the whole process with her seemed a little strange. I mean, first it seemed to be an inordinate amount of time where she was provisionally suspended, kind of in limbo for a while. Then it comes down right after Wimbledon, uh, not Wimbledon, right after the U.S. Open. And, uh, you know, it's almost like this, you know, as we we're saying before, she's like probably the biggest body that's been dumped in the street by this group since uh, Maria Sharapova. So right. a message to anybody even considering uh, doping, I mean, even though she maintains her innocence. So I don't know whether her position is strange or whether their position is strange, you know, uh, as far as the levels in there. I mean, she acknowledges using, doesn't acknowledge, uh, you know, using it inadvertently I mean, they're, you know they're saying it's impossible but it, you know of course it's also against the backdrop just food for thought that she was coming back after considering retiring because of injuries and stuff you know uh, i guess she could be taking new supplements maybe they didn't trust that maybe it's a company they shouldn't have put as much uh, trust in but clearly there's new things going into her system perhaps maybe to help with her bounce back that uh, weren't as looked at as closely as as possible. I mean, it feels like there's a real industry here for people to like inspect everything athletes ingest in their system as a full-time job when things like this happen and you want to believe the athlete. So right. Yeah. I, I read somewhere and, and this, you know, is not necessarily fact, it's just something I read. Um, yeah. that they were saying that the change in the supplements that she had made was on the recommendation by her new coach Patrick Bellatigo. Right, right. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, you saw that as well. And so, you know, for those people trying to point fingers as, you know, what's <laughs> happening, Patrick always, and we like Patrick, you know, uh, but it seems like he's always, no, no matter what player he's working with, he always ends up being <laughs> at the end of the pointed finger uh, for something, oh. whether it's Donuts, <laughs> Pies, or even this recent stuff with Coco Golf, where people are, are kind of offended that he has taken some credit for a success, which right. he was there in the very early stages. So he should he really can. Yeah. But exactly. you know, people, when they think of him, they're thinking he's jumping on the bandwagon of her success. Um, not really recognizing that he was there very early on in a career. Right, so, right. Um, just an interesting point with the whole Simona and the change of supplements and how that may have happened. Well, if you if you count it, uh, if 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 you ask uh, Serena, she thinks it happened before that Wimbledon final. <laughs> right, right. She she wasn't shy about that. You guys picked up on that. Or... Uh-huh. <laughs> she threw that shade quick. And I must step out. You know, of course, we're we're big William Sisters fans, right? Yes. And just like I had recently criticized Djokovic for, I mean, you're a goat. Uh, why are you mocking Ben Shelton on his celebration? I feel like that's kind of beneath you. Right, I right. felt the same way with Serena on this, right? You're retired. You're out of the game. People generally consider you the GOAT, you know. What value was there in taking this dig at Simona? Now, I have, I have a theory, and y'all, y'all don't be bad at me about it, but I right. think because Patrick was in the mix, is okay, really okay. more of the motivation for her taking the dig 
than Halep herself. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, Halep never seemed like much of a fire starter when she was playing as far as running her mouth or acting out in celebration or anything. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, that I agree with you, Bryce, because I just think the fact that Patrick was involved and, and really it's because, again, Patrick left Serena to join Halep's camp. So that's where the shade, that's where the feeling kind right. of comes into it. So I agree with you. I think that that's still one of those open wounds for Serena because she didn't appreciate it. And I think she just saw saw an opportunity to, to again, throw that shade. And she did. Right. <laughs> and, I, and, and I want Serena to stop that because I think that for a lot of people, I mean, for a lot of people, it was funny, right, to see, because they, they're looking to hear anything from Serena. Day, right, right, right. But I think for a large number of people as well, it was kind of like a little disappointing, you know, yeah. to see her kind of stoop that low uh, to do that. Uh, yeah. So that, and Paul, that leads me to a question that I have for you. So I okay. know okay. in other sports, sometimes when you're found to be dirty, uh, then, like, if you have a belt or a title or whatever, you can lose that right because of that but in tennis it, it kind of seems like whatever you did while you were dirty you, you still retain you know whatever it is that you you won well i think it's uh you know i'm not sure what the temporal differential was between uh, the suspicious findings for her and uh and her last title but uh, i can tell you from personal experience i did have a a match. I have a client who's a female, a for now a former female world champion, who was a female world champion at the time at the time in boxing, and uh, there were some pretty strong suspicions about her opponent's testosterone level. Uh, let's put it that way. And uh, sure enough, uh, she beats my client, uh, but it gets, uh, but but it ultimately got vacated because she tested. You know, she came up dirty for I forget if it was testosterone or a supplement that would boost testosterone after the fight. So World Boxing Organization uh, gave the title back to my client. So, in a in a written decision, but that that you know, with boxing at least, and again, I'm not sure when this was versus when she won and uh, and beat Serena Williams. But in boxing at least, it's very uh, on top of the the match temporarily. They'll do either before or after or both testing, depending what uh, given belt or given sanction or given uh, permission requires. Uh, here, uh, you know, if it was a month or two later, you could be like, well, that makes sense. But if they literally had some suspicion afterwards, you'd think maybe that has to be looked at closer. And if that is like a, a fault in the in the rules, and maybe something they have to look at closer after something like that. Obviously, if it's not there already, they can't hold it against Halep. But the next Halep, if they make some sort of amendment, you know, assuming that she actually, you know, was knowingly dirty, uh, you know, would be the one that would be dinged on something like that. And then the title would theoretically roll back down to the Serena Williams in that particular situation. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I remember one of our, fo one of our followers had made a comment about yeah. you know, Serena was due a title and someone responded. They were like, Serena wouldn't even want a title that way. And then Serena comes out with this statement. <laughs> and I was like, clearly she does. Apparently so. However she yeah. get it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, visually, there's no unringing the bell, but if there's a technicality to get it anyway, okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and Paul, question for you just in regards to the structure. So I know uh -huh. we have the ITIA, and then we you mentioned the CA, 
S the car right. of arbitration or yeah. And then you said something about federal. So for our viewers and listeners, and especially for myself, what are the different, I guess, you know, groups, tribunals, whatever you call them that you go through when you're dealing with a, 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 you know, something, something like this, where you're found to be dirty, like what's, who's, what's right. the first body? So the first body is this, uh, this ITIA, uh, independent tennis integrity, Authority or whatever the uh, whatever it stands for, uh, they're the ones that investigate both doping and uh, gambling violations. Now, I think both would be appealable next to the court of arbitration for sport. Definitely the doping, but I imagine uh, the gambling also. Although I haven't, I can't think of it, I've necessarily heard of anyone challenged on the gambling versus the doping. Maybe it's just a matter of different sort of investigation or lower ranked players or whatever it is, maybe not having the budget to go up, but uh, if the court of arbitration for sport, again, pursuant to uh, the world, the signatories to the 2009 world anti-doping code, uh, that's the next, that's, that's the almost like the interim, I'd say it's the interim court of appeals, but it's usually where it ends. Because uh, again, you don't hear about too many matters going all the way up to the federal Supreme Court of Switzerland. Which is the uh, the body you appeal from the uh, court from the court of arbitration for sport? So that that would be the, the that would be where where it would go go again from the integrity unit there up to the court of arbitration for sport up to the federal supreme court of Switzerland. So um, and from there, you, you know, if they were to affirm it, then you're basically out of options at that point, but you're basically out of options if the court of arbitration for sport confirms it. Because, you know, unlike, say, a state court, they don't give like a one-line decision, like, oh, uh, we agree with the findings affirmed. Like, you'll see that in, in court sometimes. Uh, you don't have much to work with. No, the uh, court of arbitration for sport, like I was saying, puts out some very meticulous decisions. I mean, uh, you look at, for example, uh, I'm just trying to think of ones off the top of my head, uh, Oscar Pistorius, and his oh. use of the prosthetics. Uh, you look up, uh, it wasn't Castor Semenya, but somebody else that had a similar claim against them and the, and the insight they put into that in their final decision. And uh, even the one with the uh, French tennis player we we're talking about last time with the weird cocaine issue a couple, a couple of years ago. Oh, uh, Gasquet. Yeah, Richard. Richard Gasquet. I mean, that's a, it's a pretty well thought out decision and analysis of all the facts that were put in front of it before it got to that, to finding that he wasn't, you know, uh, on board for that and then clearing him. And it goes both ways. They can either extremely clear you or extremely put you in the box. So that just kind of shows you they, they're really looking what they're doing over there. So that's probably why you don't see too many appeals. Never mind, that's probably cost prohibitive for a lot of athletes, too. I, I don't want to. I'm sure there's an, enough attorneys that would take that, you know, on contingency for the right exposure. But uh, when you're talking about, for example, lower level tennis players getting doing for gambling, probably not going to find a law firm that will take that pro bono. Maybe somebody would take somebody like Halep or or even Emer pro bono, but not necessarily somebody like uh, you know, ranked number 1400 in the world playing futures wow. tours and rigging the uh, first round results. So <laughs> probably not as likely. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, look, I thought Halep's attorney it seems to have done everything he could with the information they had. Um, I would imagine she, maybe even more so than Emer, and probably not as much as Sharapova at the time, has the budget to... Uh, go further if they want, but you also, you can't just bring things up. You need something you get, you can point to as an error. And I'm not sure if they'll be able to do that here because if they're saying error of fact, you know, I didn't take this knowingly, 
they come back and say, well, not an error of fact, because we also have facts that say, you know, that uh, this is too high of a level to have taken incidentally or accidentally. So, and, and then they'd have to be pointing to an error of law that may not be there when you're looking at a very fact-intensive inquiry using experts and analysts and everything else, you know, of the chemistry you know, that was found in their blood work. So not an easy road, not an easy road if they weren't even wanting to go up. If there was, you know, I think, I think you need some sort of just almost self-evident legal issue uh, that was an error for it to really go up versus just a disagreement over the facts. So she might be out of luck even if she tries here. Long story short. <laughs> well, I, and I know that they stated with the four-year ban, they were going to give her credit for the time that she had already not been playing. Right. So isn't it almost like she has, like you said, if there's not a financial restriction for her, she might as well appeal because that time is going to be time that she's already not playing anyway. Right. And she can maybe cross her fingers and hope that it'll change. But I agree like you, if the, the reason that they're saying that she's found guilty is because of the, the levels they found in her system, that fact is not going to change. Right. Right. And you could be sure that they already had a pretty top notch expert to kind of dispute or or try to, you know, you know, lessen the findings that uh, obviously the units experts had found. So, you know, if, and if it's not bought, it's not bought. That's pretty much what it is on every other level of the court system, too. Uh -huh. You can take a medical malpractice, have two people talk about the same procedure. Whichever one carries the day, carries the jury. That's not appealable. So, long. Right. so <laughs> okay. unfortunate, but true. But, uh, you know, uh, yeah, so it's a kind of inglorious end to her. I always liked watching her in her peak. I'm sure you guys did, too. And she took long enough to get a major or two, given how many chances she had. I feel like she was almost like the Andre Jabour of that wave. Like She got close several times. And it's like, right. Yeah, it was her and Caroline Wozniacki. They seemed to be kind of back and forth, back and, forth and then Caroline won the, the Australian Open. And then Howard was like, well, wait a minute. I can't be out here all by myself. And then she got the French. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and so. then, you know, of course, that Wimbledon over Serena where everybody acknowledges that, that that's probably the best match she ever played in her life, you know. Right, right. And uh, um, yeah, I met Halep last year at the uh, City Open, and uh, okay. you know, she was she was a very very gracious and nice uh, person. Um, I mean, I know that has nothing here nor there with what the situation is, uh, right. but yeah, it's, you hate to see someone go down like this. But it, you know, and there's even been talk by the players that just the whole process that is used for professional tennis players needs to be revisited. Um, the the whole out of competition test, the right, um, right. You know, there are several aspects about them having to notify. They said it's crazy. They have to notify those people, basically where they are, every day of the year. Like they have to, right, right. you know, because I think even in the Emer case, he was saying one of the situations was they came to test him, but. His hotel had been changed and his agent had neglected to notify the people that there was a hotel change that I think was driven by the tournament. You know, you get popped for something like that. I mean, yeah, you know. it's, I mean, 
Well, I, I think that hits on another point. There should be some allowance. Maybe there was for both. I can't say off the top of my head for situational issues, you know, things that make it a little more palatable in the right situation. Sounds like to your point, they had they had that with Emer. I don't know if they had that with Hal up there ultimately. So well, and I think a lot of it is subjective too, because I mean we had even heard kind of rumors where there were other very popular, you know, players that didn't really get, you know, a consistent level of testing or that they missed their tests um on several occasions and they never got punished. So it just seems like there, there definitely is some room for improvement with the entire process because it seems honestly that it is it can be a bit subjective depending on right. who it is and how they right. want to go about conducting said tests. And we'll leave that right there. <laughs> Fair enough. So, well, shoot, I have a few other smaller things uh, yeah. that might be uh, worth raising. I think you touched on one of them already, but I'll go chronologically in the order of things of the U.S. Open. Uh, what was it? Uh, the first round match between Coco Goff and Laura Siegemann got a little chippy. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it led me to the question, you know, uh, especially when I thought we'd meet you guys in person there, although the uh, law of gods frowned on me for that week. But, uh, you know, they got a little, the question of would that fall under unsportsmanlike conduct in the uh, WTA uh, Grand Slam rule book? Uh, you know, that, 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 you know, there wasn't a, a handshake by a Siegemann at the end. Because, you know, unsportsmanlike conduct is a potential $20,000 fine, which which seemed over and above what the situation called for, but it's there to be used if it was found. And uh, just you know, to give you an idea of what would rise to that level, let me just read you the definition of unsportsmanlike conduct, or uh, which says, in relevant part, any misconduct by a player that is clearly abusive or detrimental to the sport. Now, I'm not sure if it rises to that level, but it's certainly disrespectful. Uh, I think we would agree, but it, maybe it made sense in context. And, you know, you always, you know, uh, I, I've written articles about it in the boxing context. People do some weird crap when after they lose sometimes, you know. Uh, they're not always in the best mood. They're not always able to snap out of it too quick. Right. I mean, you, you hope for guys like Tiafo, who was always very effusive, it seems, even when losing, you know. Uh, you know, giving a legitimate like props to the other side and being a sport about it, even if he's upset. But then you you do have people like Siegman, you know, <laughs> where it's well, like, didn't, like didn't, you know, didn't she she shake Coco's hand? She didn't shake the umpire's hand. Was that what it was? Yeah, I think that, yeah. that may be what it was. Yeah. She was fighting with yeah. the umpire a lot, also. But right. yeah, then it's like you know, again, I don't think it rises on sportsmanlike conduct, but you don't want to encourage. Right that to go on unchecked either you know uh, necessarily so i don't know if they you know i guess my question you do paul is because i guess and i don't know the tennis rule book well enough to know this though but is shaking someone's hand actually a part of the rules i mean i understand playing the game is a part of the rules but when you're right. done with the match you're done with the match i mean now mind you i love the handshakes only because i like to see the interaction like okay is someone salty or are they gracious or what have <laughs> you but in right. truth when i think about the handshake to me i think it's kind of arbitrary because it's again if you if the last point has been played you know, I, I don't need to shake your hand. I mean, I, I think it's one of those tennis 
you know, the tennis purist thing, and that's the thing that's been right, done right. over the years. More, I don't right, know. It does feel like more of a norm or more of a sign of good sportsmanship. I think that's the point of having some sort of vague definition of, you know, uh, right. of, the, of the verbiage there. So kind of leaves it open, you know. Uh, let's make a more extreme example. What if, uh, you know, what if Laura Siegemann went over to the, the uh, chair umpire and spit in her face at the end or told Coco Goff to F off or whatever it was, you know, something a little more drastic, turn it up a notch or two. That would probably fall under unsportsmanlike conduct more readily to your point, I think. Than, uh, right. But still, you don't like to see stuff like that just the same. So, um, and then the one you guys were referring to earlier, uh, you know, Djokovic hanging up the phone when he beat Shelton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another one where you're like, you might crack up, but you're like, is that really necessary here? <laughs> you know? Right. I, mean, I hate to see what Curios did to Shelton if he lost in, uh, in, or won in, in like closer, heartbreaking fashion. So, <laughs> right. But, I just uh, I, the thing that annoyed me about Djokovic was in his press conference afterwards, he tried to make it like, oh, you know, I really like your celebration, so I just decided to steal it. And like we were saying on our show, after you <laughs> win or lose a match, you can do whatever you want to do, but don't try to act like we don't know what's going on because it's a whole different ball game when you do somebody else's celebration. Correct. You are you know, openly mocking them. Openly like, mocking them. Openly. Right, so yeah. if you do something that someone else has done, you are mocking them. Just simply put. Right. So so stop trying to yeah. play the role and oh, I just like to say stop it. Because you're because to right. me, then you're patronizing me as 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 a as right. a fan. Because it's right. like they're patronizing right. on that shit. If you go, if you're gonna say that you did it, be like, yeah, oh. I did it. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, let's flip it. What if somebody beats Djokovic at Wimbledon and pulls a plate of grass out and tastes it as part of his celebration? You think right. he wouldn't take that personally? Like, that's what he does. Or so. goes and does the boob toss. <laughs> exactly. <No. laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, I mean, exactly. he's almost asking for it going forward with anybody that beats him now as far as what, what his tradition is on a particular court. So, yeah. Well, have you noticed there have been several other players now doing the hang-up We've had Musetti, uh, I think, right? Do it. We oh, had. Um, it was somebody. Was it Musetti that did it? Uh, I think I got him confused. But I mean, unless both of them did it, but uh, yeah. Well, you know, folk need good for 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 mocking. So <laughs> <laughs> that does not surprise me that he did that. Right. <laughs> One thing that's yeah. interesting, though, and and again, this is not you know. I think this is more of what do you call it? Uh, imitation is a form of flattery, as Ben put it, that about Novak. Right. Notice how Coco is kind of doing a little bit of a spin now when she wins. And that's a Venus move. Venus right. does oh, that yes, spin. Yes. And so right. when I saw Coco do it, I was like, hmm. I was like, that looks familiar, Coco. <laughs> Did she do it to Venus when she beat her? The answer no, is no, no, no. She just has <laughs> done it, which I actually, no, I love it. No. <laughs> Yeah, no. That was really me. cheeky for a fifteen-year-old, to say the least. But uh, <laughs> uh, oh, but yeah, but, love that though. Yeah, uh, let's put it this way: I think he got Sheldon's attention for next time, if that even matters with Djokovic. But uh, I think everybody, Djokovic has everybody's attention every time, so <laughs> or at least he should. So. Um, you know, whether he's going to come more mentally prepared, I'm not sure how many much more mentally prepared you have to be for a Djokovic match, but uh, just the same. 
I don't know if it rises to unsportsmanlike conduct, but uh, just not uh, not the most becoming necessarily. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Bryce. So I can't uh, audio there. Yeah, I think your audio might be might be uh, might be having some issues there, Bryce. But um, yeah, yeah. But but <laughs> overall, yes, it's it's yeah. It, again, we 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 both we all know that. Ooh, yeah, you froze for a second there. Oh, did I freeze, Paul? Yeah. Now now you're all back. Okay, okay. I think. All right, there we go. But overall, what you're saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, just again, it it was a very good, very interesting U.S. Open to say the least. Did you have any other notes uh, that you had uh, drafted out there, Paul? No, I mean it started with a bang with uh, with the Siegmund issue, and I thought there was going to be all sorts of other ones, but uh, really, no. I mean, uh, is there any anything you guys picked up on? I mean, that and the phone hang up were the only real two that I was like, wow, that's that's some stuff right there. But uh, you know. <laughs> Oh, Bryce, I think we're having an issue with your, We may be having an issue, Bryce, with your audio. We can't hear you. I can still hear you, Paul, but... Um, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm, we, I'm, I'm, going, I'm... No, somehow the U.S. Open, even though the crowd is less civilized, seemed more civilized than the on-court at Wimbledon. Right. Where the crowd is more civilized, but the on-court antics somehow are not. It's so... <laughs> <laughs> right. I guess it just right, depends on the right. year and the and the players and uh, the heat of the battle and, and what have you. So, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, Paul, do you have anything else that you would like to share with the with uh, the, the 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 group out there, the folks who are watching and or listening? Ah, uh, nothing off the top of my head. Again, unless there's anything random I may have missed that uh, you you guys think I should should have picked up on uh, from the. Uh, the uh, the rules of the game in any of the recent tournaments. I th those are the things that stood out to me. Um, by the way, one small one I will point out. Uh, this probably goes back from before the last time we spoke, but uh, I did go to the DC Open qualifiers, and uh, you know, I guess I'll no need to drag the player's name into this specifically, but it's pretty veteran, uh, at least doubles player of some accomplishment. Smash his racket to smithereens when he lost in qualifiers, and uh, again, you know, I think that is potentially uh, an, an offense. But it's like you know, you know, you're not going to ding him on the smaller, the smaller events. But you don't want to see that necessarily routinely every time somebody like loses a match either. So, I think it's one of the more typical ways to act out because you know, you, you know, if you're at home in your office, you might want to punch something. If you're on the tennis court, you want to slap something. <laughs> so. You know, right. so not not to say that I don't get it, but it's like another one that we we don't need to see that very frequently. But as we're talking about with Wimbledon, you had Djokovic batting the uh, pole at one point without penalty. So why would you ding a qualifier at uh, the DC Open if you're not going to City Open if you're not going to you know find him for that? So exactly right, exactly. A fraction of the people watching. <laughs> so. You know, maybe you do that in juniors tennis. You want if you want to teach them the right way to act once they're on the main draw or something, but uh, otherwise pointless. I would think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Spot on, Paul. It's like you know, you gotta you gotta kind of you know weigh things evenly as best as you can because again, right, so right. someone like Djokovic to do something like that and not get fined, and then you've got somebody else 
you know, at a much smaller event getting fined. It's like, oh, come on, folks, let's be consistent. Right. The guy's had a bad enough day that he didn't get to a main draw of the tournament. So get, leave him alone, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm not, not going to the Sportsmanship Hall of Fame anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, Paul, as we wrap up, anything else that you want to kind of share with the with the listeners and or viewers out there, my friend? Uh, no, I just thank you guys for having me again. I always have a good time on here. Um, what's the next big one I should be focusing on? I guess they're in the uh, South American and Asian swings right now. So maybe we have to see if anything goofy happens at the uh, year-end Masters tournaments in either of them. Uh, Absolutely. Or the Labor know. Cup. The Labor Cup is such a laid-back thing where uh, you know I wouldn't expect anybody to go bananas if something happens. So <laughs> I'd love to get to that one of these days. I don't know if you guys have been to the Labor Cup, but... Uh, if it ever winds up near here, I'd love to check that out. Yeah, um, yeah. I, Bryce and I as well. We would love yeah. to go to the Labor Cup. So we are looking forward to when it comes back to the States, and hopefully we we can do some coverage. Oh, yes. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> I'm right there behind you, real sleek-looking court and setup. I, I just love the presentation there. So, Absolutely. All right. Uh, oh, wait. Here's one more random thought for you, though. Yeah. I talked about this with a uh, – with my soon-to-be partner today. Um, would you welcome a throwback tournament every year that uses wood rackets again, just to see how it, current players would perhaps do with old-school rackets? I think, so. yeah, absolutely. Just it, scratch an itch, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, the interesting thing with tennis is it's, it's not like pound for pound in boxing where you could say, okay, this guy was the same size in 1936 that this guy is in 2023. It's an entire, some people will tell you it's an entirely different game because of the rackets. So how do you compare, you know, Rod Laver with Novak Djokovic if they're not even using the same sort of, you know, equipment <laughs> in comparison? I mean, uh, I don't think there's tennis pound for pound debates in the same way there is boxing ones, but it's just kind of interesting. It's been such a change. Same thing with golf, as he was pointing out in this conversation today. So, but uh, just food for thought, some sort of retro <laughs> wood racket tournament would be kind of interesting. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But we would be all in for that. That's for sure. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so. All right. Well, Paul, once again, thank you as always for coming on thank to the show. We, we absolutely love <laughs> having you, my man. And uh, again, we will have you back again because there's always something going on in the world of That's tennis. Fun. So we always need that legal that legal oversight and perspective. So we appreciate that from you, my friend. Uh, looking forward to it as long as the player in question stays out of trouble. We don't need more hallops, but we'll take more minor violations. So. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, all right, folks. Well, on behalf of the podcast, I am Isaac. That is Bryce. And we are Brothers on Tennis. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening in. And we will see you very soon.